Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, Voyagers? Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 197. This is likely the last one that you're going to get before the holiday season. So happy holidays to everybody. I hope you have a safe and a happy and a healthy one. This episode was recorded in Bushwick at a space called Rubbalad. And that is what this one is about. They self-describe this space on social media as a community party zone for musicians, artists, and free spirits. I think that's a pretty good description. I was able to sit down with Sari Rubenstein, who is one of the co-founders of Rubbalad, and it's nearing almost its 30th year. It's had a, a couple of different incarnations, a couple different spaces that it's existed in. And it's hard for me to <laughs> describe what it is. I'll, I'll try to do it for you. But when you walk in, there's a main space. And that's sort of like the performance space for bands and performers. And there's all sorts of awesome stuff hanging from the ceiling from different shows and exhibitions that have happened there. Like there's a giant floating eyeball. Uh, there's <laughs> sea creatures and a giant octopus, which looks like something out of, I don't know, a trip or like some weird dreamlike Jim Henson world. Um, there's all sorts of art on the walls. There, It looked to me like a, a recreation of uh, Guernica, it's, it's, it feels creative and welcoming when you walk in. And if you go outside, there's different artist studios. There is a costumer right now. There are band spaces. And this is also a performance space too, which allows you to be, you know, in this immersive type of experience where you're there with the artist as whatever performance is taking place. If you go to their Instagram account, which I've linked in the show notes, you'll see some of this wild stuff. Um, performers, musicians. There's a guy with the saxophone that's shooting flames out of it like it's a flamethrower. There are these awesome Christmas scenes, Halloween scenes. It's a, it's a trip, man. And it's a really cool and welcoming space for artists and creative folks. It's really DIY, acting completely independent of any sort of corporate money or assistance or anything like that. And it's the kind of place, much like a lot of these restaurants we've been talking about and artists we've been talking to on this podcast, it's the kind of place that I want to see still be around after the pandemic and thriving after the pandemic and even a model of what things could be and maybe the good parts of New York that they, that they can go back to being. I know right now it's really hard to have a, you know, to eat, there's no concerts to attend or, or, or real art galleries or spaces to attend during COVID. So they're doing an event for New Year's that she'll talk about, and that's a distanced event, and they, they only let a certain amount of people in. We're going to, my partner and I are going to D.C. next week, and there's a, an art exhibit there we're going to that has like timed tickets where you get a ticket for a certain time frame that you're allowed in. And Rubble Ad will be doing that as well. But also go check out some of the videos on social media. 
And those do a lot more justice to describing the place than I can. Uh, But it's a really, really cool space. And I I know some people who who frequent events there and it, it feels like home for them. And it's, I know it's a community that they're currently missing. They are fundraising right now. Um, so if you are able to assist and you want to come see the space someday, or if you're somebody that, that's already been frequenting uh, shows and parties and things like that, consider giving uh, so that we can, like I said, have it still be here when things go back to normal and we can go back to having live music every single night, which is one of the many amazing things about living in New York. So I was really fortunate to be able to to record live in the space with Sari. Really uh, appreciative that she gave me her time right before this busy holiday season. So check out the show notes, like I said, for all things Rubalad, and please enjoy my conversation with Sari. Yeah, so I mean, we were talking about accents. You're you're from New York City originally. Mm-hmm. I'm from 26th Street and 9th Avenue. Oh, that's very specific. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Chelsea girl. So you've been here your whole life. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. When you were young, what was uh, like your initial introduction into the arts? Because this is, I mean. This is an incredible space. Like, what are the roots of this? Oh, thank you. Oh, well, Chelsea, when I was growing up, <clears throat> was this sort of, for, I wouldn't say forgotten, but a little bit out of the way neighborhood that had some pretty interesting things in it. Um, there was the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. Um, there was a sci-fi movie theater, two for a dollar, two movies for a dollar, that was the first theater to screen John Waters movies. Wow. Um, in New York, we had stuff like record stores and comic book stores. It was just sort of a dilapidated neighborhood. Um, not really that desirable. Had you been to the Chelsea Hotel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Many times. Uh, I, you know, like I, I know of it through reading like, like Just Kids um, by Patti Smith. Did mm-hmm. that kind of stuff... And did New York at that time, well, I look at it, I look at it like through a very romantic lens, but I wonder if that just, just felt normal to you or if did that feel like a really sort of creative atmosphere? The Chelsea Hotel? Well, the, the whole thing, like New York during the, like you said, the I dilapidated time. I being a kid in New York. Yeah. Um, kids in New York, I don't know about now, but when I was growing up, had a lot of freedom because mm. you didn't have to be driven anywhere. You could just go do things. Um, now kids are much more surveilled. Yeah. So I loved walking around my neighborhood. There were all kinds of little, very specific shops. There was a guy who um, made dollhouse furniture, like handmade Victorian dollhouse mm. furniture and a, a bunch of weird antique shops. And... um. I don't know. It was very kind of sweet there, but also kind of sleazy and dirty. And I was always afraid to come home at night. Like, I wouldn't want to walk on 8th Avenue. I would be looking over my shoulder. And there were stabbings and shootings. But 
not only were children unsurveilled, but there was just not police everywhere like there is now. Yeah. Like you had to actually commit a crime and then some <laughs> to have any police notice you. There was no stop and frisk that I remember. Um, maybe if you were in a neighborhood with more people of color. Our neighborhood was very Latino, though. Oh. And we were not, there weren't, now there's like 32 policemen sitting on every doorstep of my neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> so. So did you get into seeing uh, like bands perform or other sort of like performative arts? Yeah, kids were allowed to go out. Yeah. When I was growing up. So you could go nightclubbing when you were 13, 14. And you did. Yeah, nobody carried ID. Wow. Because and no one carried ID till 9-11. So oh. you didn't have to be 21 to go anywhere. You didn't have to be 18 to go anywhere. You just go out with your friends. So, you know, everyone could all say they were staying at one kid's house and then go out. So there was a lot going on, a lot of bands, a lot of um, just different kinds of bands and different kinds of art events and um, there was a lot of space to create and things were what seems like they were cheap compared yeah. to now. Things were affordable in New York City. Space was affordable. Um, so it was really uh, a fertile time for the arts in New York City. You were in a, a punk band at some point, right? I was sort of in a punk pop band. Ah. Yeah. How do it, you know that? Is that stuff still available somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah? I mean, available. You can find it. Um, I was in a band called the Gamma Rays. We played a lot in New York. We did not record a lot. So there's a couple 45s, maybe a couple videos you can see on YouTube. Yeah. Um, that was in the late 80s. But we played out in every kind of place you could play in New York. Like bars, nightclubs, whatever. Um, let's see. The number of people we warmed up for in this town. Really? Like, like big touring bands and stuff? We warmed up for the Blue Man Group. We warmed up for really? ESG. We warmed up for My Bloody Valentine. Whoa. Um. We warmed up for Donny Osmond. No way. Um, <laughs> Where was that? Do you remember the venue? I was at a nightclub called the Red Zone. Okay, I don't know. In Midtown. We played for Michael Alex's birthday party. Um, you know, the guy who went to jail for the nightclub kid murder. So we were there. Wow. When um, were you... Um, I don't even know, like, I guess how, well, I'm jumping through time, but how would you define uh, what you do here? Who? If somebody was like, hey, I want to go check out uh, one of those parties. How, how would you, what would you tell them is going to happen? Oh, well, you know, we're first and foremost just an art space. So, but the, the parties are by and for artists of mm. every ilk. So... I would expect to find a variety of different things going on um, that cross genres. And uh, most of the things that happen here are 
fun and uplifting. There are some dark things, but but we try and keep it kind of happy for people. So they would experience a little bit of just kind of freeform craziness. And, and uh, it's very good juju all around in here. So Yeah, it feels that way. You threw um, your first event in the 90s, is that correct? Well, 1993, we got our first space and uh, we threw our one first event. Where was that? We were on South 5th Street under the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh, yeah. I live right over there. Um, we had had a basement in the East Village on by St. Mark's Place, and then we realized if we came to Williamsburg, we could get a really huge space. So we did that. We had gone to this mustard seed factory party that was this legendary party with 100 art installations and... Oh, in like an old mustard seed factory? Yeah, that's now Elizabeth Streb. Oh, wow. Right? And and there were so many things, and we thought to ourselves, something's really going on over there, and, and we want to be part of it. So, And plus, we could get so much space. It's not even funny. So we just got this huge space. And the space was imperfect. It was leaky. and um, <laughs> But... It was right under the bridge. You could walk over the bridge to it, and um, it was huge and cheap. And so we moved in there with all our band friends and started making noise. And then we started inviting the neighborhood, and we knew that we could also invite artists to have studios. So we <clears throat> we put some walls on wheels in there so we could always change the space. And Oh, and, that's a cool idea. And we made some studios. Do you remember that first event very well? <clears throat> yes. Um, it was a carnival-themed event. Oh. Um, with, like, acrobatics or? No, with, like, midway games. Oh, okay. But the, pro- the, the games were all being run by the different musicians, so we all had to switch spots every half an hour. And um, we learned right away that we shouldn't have all our events, everything be manned by people. Because it was very challenging, that mm. part. But everyone in the neighborhood came. It was really very fun. And then we didn't do a lot more. We didn't re- have any money. And we had this huge space, but no supplies yeah. to decorate with for a long time. And then we had a flood. And the insurance company gave us money. Okay. And we bought carpet. And we bought paint. And everything had come from the dumpster before that. So that was really exciting. When you were in Williamsburg, those events were kind of word of mouth? Really very. There was no internet. Yeah. So you could put a poster on a lamppost. And I had maybe a 400-person mailing list from my band that we would send postcards to. Oh, okay. So I would send all those people a postcard. Because it really was meant to be a place for my band to play. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I wanted when we opened it. And um, and the bands who were in there, I think there was five of us, five bands, so that we could just have our own shows. But we really didn't do that for a few years till we had, you know, were able to fix the place up a little. We talked about... Uh, New York during what I would think of sort of like the the heyday of a lot of really good music and art. And obviously 
Manhattan itself is, is, has changed drastically, you know, through Giuliani up through today. But I mean, you mentioned Williamsburg. Williamsburg from the 90s till 2020 is also drastically different. Um, a lot of that, and I'm, I'm going to put my p opinion on it, is like there's been a lot of gentrification. And I mean, there are uh, a lot of social issues that come with that. I, I wonder through like, like changing Brooklyn and changing New York, how you've seen that sort of change the art scene and if that's had an effect also on your space at all. Oh, yeah. Um, it's much more buttoned down here now. Mm. It used to be much more free and wild because when with the real estate comes this feeling that rich people might not like that Yeah, if you did it. <laughs> and so... Before, when we were there, people just did things on the waterfront. They would put up a bonfire and have their birthday with a marching band, and no one cared. No one noticed. You know, you could have a giant event just outside on the waterfront. And if you did that now, well, maybe not now since COVID, but yeah. during the Bloomberg years, multiple fire trucks would come, multiple police cars, possibly helicopters, um, they would take you to jail. Did that ever happen with any of your events? Um, I'm just going to skip that question. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I've definitely been events at events where that happened, yeah. where they paid for a helicopter to break up an art party. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's almost a weird catch-22 because those types of, what do you want to call it, like events or like, the artistry is a reason to travel to a place. But then if you're not allowing it to happen, like why would people then want to come to that place? I mean, if like you're talking about buttoned up and I definitely, I definitely see that as well. It's sort of like a, a homogenization of a place, right? Like everything just becomes skyscrapers and uh, apartment buildings and, it becomes very bland and boring. It's like, why would you ever want to be there then? Right. I definitely had this feeling during the Bloomberg years, and some people hated the Giuliani years more than the Bloomberg years, but I felt that in the Bloomberg years, he was thinking that New York was someplace where the money lived, mm. and we were just kind of in the way of the smooth transition of money from one end of town to the other. And as much as they could, they took out everything old in New York and put in chain stores, making New York into the same town you might find in Nebraska. And yeah, <laughs> that exactly. isn't what New York City is about. New York City is much more connected to Europe where the shops are made by people and families and they're particular and they're one of a kind. And so to murder all of that, to put in chains, um, is very heartbreaking, was very heartbreaking for New Yorkers. In my teens and like early twenties, um, I was going to, um, a lot of punk shows and a lot of like DIY stuff. And the idea is, I mean, as you know, but, but for listeners is that, you know, this, this isn't a club that's going to make the bands have like a quota for their own tickets that they have to sell. It'll be a space that's all ages. It'll be a space that feels you know, safe for you to be you, whereas maybe, I don't know, high school or your town or whatever didn't feel like a place that was conducive for whatever you were interested in. 
uh, it was a space that was yours to be able to experience the stuff that you like, you know, without ridicule and amongst like-minded people. Uh, that to me feels like what this space is. Is that something you were conscious of, like creating a space that didn't exist? Oh, sure. Otherwise? We were all that kid. Everybody yeah. here was that kid that got picked on or that kid that felt weird for whatever reason. And they sort of gravitated to here. And and we love to give love to people who felt like they were the weird one. Yeah. You know. How do you identify, um, you know, performers and, and, and bands and stuff? Do people reach out to you or? <clears throat> well, I mean, we started out with just us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then lots of people did reach out to us. So now people write us. And it's so easy with modern technology. They can just send us a link. And, and um, if we feel like it um, goes with this place, then, um, then they can go. Hmm. Has, and maybe, maybe it's not a question you'd want to answer, has there ever been uh, people who reached out or you were just like, no, nah, that's not a good fit for this? Oh, all the time. Uh. And, you know, mostly I try and be polite, but I have actually had to write people and say, your band is like totally bookable in other places or you're famous already. So <clears throat> this space is for stuff that is like other places wouldn't necessarily understand it or take it. If you're like normal enough to pass, um, this may not be the place for you yeah i mean i maybe it sounds silly um to some people but it's like yeah it's like seeing um like a black flag shirt in a boutique store for 200 dollars. it's like no 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 like you, you don't get to participate in the thing that we were doing because like you never wanted to before it was cool um so i could i could see you know there's a lot of spaces in new york that become quite popular because they are amazing and then like yeah people wanted to jump onto that and i could definitely see people wanting to you know, sort of get that, like, credibility, I guess, by playing at a, a, a spot like this. Like, if your act is suitable for uh, just a regular bar, it may not be suitable for here. Mm. Um, which isn't to say we're all about pushing boundaries, but um, we do sort of like to foster an atmosphere of unique creativity what was the, um, I have this written down on my notes that I just pulled up, but I saw something that I think happened over the summer that looked really cool. The Beast Visit. What oh, was yeah. that? That was a theater piece. Okay. And they, they were dressed up like creatures and animals and all sorts of wild stuff. Right. That's a playwright who does a lot of shows here named Normandy Sherwood and her partner, um, who writes a lot of music or they do it together and their shows are just terrific. And this one was co put on by the space here. Um, and it, we were only, we had 13 audience members at a time. It was oh, so scary COVID. under COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That was early too. Um, and I think they got some funding to help with that because we made it free Wow. Because the governor had just announced no performances. Just when I was thinking of like a whole season of socially distanced, quiet performances, um, 
it turned out that the governor didn't want that. <laughs> so in the end, we had 13 spots. So your pod could go in the spot. So more than 13 people actually came at a time. I was wondering this actually when I was outside before, if, if there's even like a widespread awareness that this space is here. And I went down this rabbit hole a bit in my mind where I was thinking about, like, I, I really love in, in like East Asian and Southeast Asia, I love alleyways because in alleyways, there are these whole worlds that you would just pass by, like underground noodle shops and these little dive bars without uh, a number or a label there. And there are all these worlds existing and you could pass by outside and not know any of this is back here. And this is a massive space. It just looks sort of like an industrial block. Um, it, are there still maybe <laughs> a lot of people that don't know what's going on back here? Oh, well, we hope that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really only for people who, who find their way here for whatever reason. We're not trying to have um, <laughs> walk in um, or even be that present. Otherwise, I would mural the whole front in brand yeah. new murals, which I would love to do. But I just try to keep a low profile on the street. So we keep ourselves to ourselves in here and... and um, in this neighborhood, most people are crazier than us. Yeah. So we have peace for the most part with our neighbors. We have quiet outside. And I'm assuming that a lot of what's here hanging from the ceiling is from years and years of performances. These are from a different bunch of different events. We have a storage room full of... Our old space was kind of the opposite of this. It was like 6,000 square feet inside. And um, a rooftop outside. So we have all these wall decorations. So we just rotate them out. So these are items from the permanent collection, plus whatever people made for Winter Wonderland. You can see. And if you go in the bathroom, you can see flyers from, you can see some of the original postcards that we sent to people. Oh, that's cool. I'll put some of those pictures up. I mean, so then does, like this right here, this is like a giant octopus kind of is that going to go back to the artist someday then or did, will that stay here oh that our octopus was a gift from house of yes to us oh yeah okay from when they were at house of yes two before this current iteration oh that's cool and um unlike us we're kind of like a salvage yard for sets <laughs> no one wanted anymore and props but they change everything out so sometimes they give us things ah um and they gave us this beautiful octopus and do you, um, when you think back through the years, do you have either like a most memorable or a favorite event? Oh my God, there's so many. There's been hundreds. So um, that's really hard to say. There's some of my favorite things that have happened. Um, one of my favorite things that happened in an event is that a puppeteer raised a chicken and an egg in the yard. Um, it drew a huge crowd cheering, chicken, chicken, egg, egg. And the costumes, the chicken costume and the egg costume were so wonderful. And um, it was so Dada. And I saw the, the other day you had a, somebody playing a saxophone that was like shooting flames out of it. Yes, we did have that um, for the Bindlestiff Family Circus Monday night live stream was shot in here, specifically the honk NYC. I have to plug everyone. Um, 
That is a gathering of marching bands that we host here. Oh, cool. So they were on the Bindle Stiff Family Circus show, the marching bands, and they did little segments for it. And, um, and we got the flaming saxophone player. Wow. So <laughs> In I would, the snow. I would imagine that uh, taking it back to Williamsburg, like initially the way that it's sustaining itself is through, you know, admission at events, right? Like just like somebody would go see like a band play at a at a venue, right? Yeah, um, we're not going to talk a lot about money here okay. because what we are going to talk about the fact that we're fundraising yeah, yeah. for the winter here, like everyone else, and we're DIY space, so we're not eligible for Save Our Spaces funding or any kind of funding. Um, wow. So we are asking for help to get through the winter. Um so that we can reopen when it's warmer in a safe way um, for public stuff. Yeah. So how do you, how do people go about getting involved in that? I would have to read the link, but you go to okay. with friends uh, slash rubby lad slash join. And I'll have to read out the actual link. More. No, I'll put it. Uh, everyone <laughs> listening knows that you can go to the notes and you'll find a link to that and they can just click it. So that'll be nice right. and easy. Is there also a place where they can go find out, let's say it's a, it's a normal world and it's not COVID, they can find out about events or is it like as they come up, they can find out? Oh, well, they can find out by, you know, joining us on our socials. We have a Facebook and several Facebooks and an Instagram and, and they can just come and check out what we're doing and there's tons of photos and... Um, and if you Google us, you there's about a million D uh, photos and videos of of past things because we've been going for 27 years. Wow! So many indescribable acts <laughs> have passed through here. Um, I'm not the best documenter of things, but thankfully the audiences really are. So they post a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was actually and, thinking that like this would be. 27 years would be like the, the perfect idea to do a documentary or something. Has, has anybody ever reached out with that kind of idea? No. No one's offered to do a documentary about us yet. I do have um, 16 full events on, on video from the, the first Ruby Lad, like in real time. So anybody wants to make a documentary about Ruby Lad out there, I have this to offer you. Um, <laughs> 16 full-on, like, eight or 10-hour events Whoa. that are already recorded. And that's not, no one can see that right now, huh? Right. Wow. I did show them on the wall outside, on all the walls during our 25th anniversary weekend. Oh, that's cool. But really in a more Andy Warhol kind of way, so you couldn't, like, sit down and watch it, but... You want that stuff edited anyway. You don't really want to go to a 20-year-old event in real time. Yeah. Walk around. <laughs> <laughs> you just want the, the juicy stuff. And you were telling me before we were recording that there's also, in addition to it being a live event space, there's also um, artist studios back here. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff getting made here all the time. And there's people working here all the time on their music or their art and a lot of stuff gets created in-house and also we're really psyched about 
like you were mentioning the Chelsea Hotel, New York City had a lot of spaces where artists from different mediums could meet and do things. And Chelsea Hotel was one of those one of those mm-hmm. places. And I don't know if you know about the Carnegie Hall Studios. I don't know. Tell me though. <laughs> All right. Well, on top of Carnegie Hall, um, as a gift to New York City, they built artist studios. And there was ballerinas and musicians and puppeteers and and painters and everyone had his own kind of room that was designed especially, oh, now we say their own kind of room, designed especially for that sort of work. And I used to take classes in there with Louise Lasser in this incredible puppet studio, but these studios were there for a hundred years. And then the CEO of Citibank got on the board of Carnegie Hall and decided to make them Citibank offices. Oh, nice. Like they couldn't make them anywhere else and kicked all the artists out. The artists at this point were all in their 80s and 90s, the original artists. Oh, my God. But many things happened there because these people were next to each other. Musicals and operas and plays were written because people ran into each other in the hall and said, oh, I was thinking about this. So... One of our goals, sorry, that's long, is to be the sort of place where people can run into each other and say, I make puppets and I make music and maybe we could do this show together. Yeah, I mean, because as, we, as we've, I mean, maybe he's beating a dead horse, but it, it, does, it does feel like even pre-COVID, a lot of that stuff was disappearing. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know what this city looks like in another year. I mean, I, I'm nearby, um, like metropolitan where like, you know, the knitting factory in Brooklyn has just been shuttered since March. And it's like, well, how are they going to afford that rent and, and still be there without any sort of assistance? So I don't know. I do think that like we, we need to somehow take care of each other because we're not really getting taken care of here. That is for real. It's very scary that we will lose, well, you saw that article, 500 things about to close in New York City go by. Um, We don't want to lose everything original and special that was created by people here. Maybe it was created by generations of people here. Um, And we were already suffering so hard from the lack of commercial rent regulation and the greed of real estate barons that... I mean, I'm hoping that maybe COVID will make it better, but as far as I can tell, mm. they're still building, which is crazy because these offices are not, there's not going to be a need for them to my eyes in the future. Yeah. Everybody's not going to go to work the same way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Midtown will be, office space will be revivified. So, but right now, Manhattan feels very empty. It's really weird. And I don't say this to demonize anybody who is like really struggling, but there, there are a lot of people like out on the streets right now. Like, I mean, I I've been here for 10 years in the city, like way more than I've ever seen. And it's just like, gosh, like what, what is going on right now? I Um, think we really, really, really need help from the state government here and they have not been forthcoming. I think our governor has not been forthcoming. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too into politics, but 
it just can't be more and more and more expensive all the time for people to do anything. So their business shrinks to the size of a check cashing place and they still having to come up with $30,000 a month to stay there. This just isn't conducive to a city where people need things like a laundromat and a hardware store and stuff that maybe doesn't make a zillion dollars per square inch to pay these kind of rents. And that's why we see empty storefronts everywhere. And no one has been willing to pass legislation to say, you have to fill your space. You have to reduce your rent like they have in cities in Europe yeah, um, where they care about this stuff. I thought I saw in Japan right now, like folks are receiving 100% of their wages if their industry has been shuttered. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're maybe getting $600. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm laughing, but it's kind of like a joke. Um, yeah. Uh, so people really need help. I, I just can't imagine, like, my favorite cafes from childhood um, surviving this without some help. Yeah. And again, like I, I'm not just saying this to say it, but like I think that again points to like how important a space like this is because it is a space that, you know, like-minded people can go. Otherwise everybody's going to pack up and go to, to a city where you're, you know, it's a fraction of the rent to live there. And that, I don't know, that would be a really weird looking New York City in the future if, if we lose all this stuff. I don't know. Um when we were outside, I was ear hustling a little bit, and I heard you talking about a New Year's event here. We're in the middle of um, our creative COVID solution, which is um, time-ticketed, socially distant art events. Um, so it's a walk-through interactive experience, and um, people come in every half an hour. And just so it doesn't get too crowded, you are welcome to stay as long as you need to, to see the art. Um, we're not serving alcohol or anything, so normally people leave after a while and go to a bar or something. There's a lot in this neighborhood. But if you want to have in a magical art experience with the folks in your pod, then you can come over here. And people have been really enjoying it. We did seven nights of Halloween and... This, I think, will be our sixth night of the holiday show. And um, people cry. They're so happy (laughs) to do something and maybe to go out with their friend to do something besides eat. And um, it's been really meaningful for us and the people who come here. And I'm sure New Year's will be terrific. For those events, do do people come and do they rehearse it for you or do you just sort of trust that they're going to do what they're going to do and it's going to be good. What do you mean? Which people? Well, uh, you know, for, for an event like that, um, if you're having a, like an, an interactive performance or something that's immersive, do, do they show you what the event's going to be before you, you run it here? Oh, no. I mean, we pick it so we know what it's, okay. it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, we ask them. And also we have all these different places that people can occupy um, to be separate. Yeah. So that they're not anywhere near anyone who's who's watching them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't been, but I will be. Um, <laughs> it, this is a, a really amazing space and I would 
I would tell anybody who's either listening from New York or coming to see New York to come stop by. Uh, and like I said, I also will have a link so that people can help out if they're able to do so right now because, um, you know, this is a place that I want to see here. Thank you. Also, we do need people to sign up for time slots if they're coming at New Year's so that we can keep people separate because it's really important to us to not be super spreaders. And yeah. um, we all want to be alive in the spring. Not only do we want our space to be open, but we want all our guests to still be here <laughs> with us. Have your, uh, I was thinking about this, have your kids been here? Oh, I have one kid and she's here all the time. I was, was going to say, like their friends must think like, oh my God, you've got the coolest parents. Um, she's bored of it, but <laughs> her friends come over. There's a big posse of children coming over on New Year's. We are child friendly here. Mm. Um, it's great to, to start them young. It's full of wonder here and the, the children love it. Yeah. It feels, there's almost like, um, with some of the puppeteer stuff, it, it makes me think almost of like, uh. Jim Henson or something like that. What a nice thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, so now I go with my kid often to like target free Christmas day and they'll put up an installation and it's free and 10,000 children will come and they give uh, you like a lot of cookies and hot chocolate and peppermints and, um, and there's fun installations paid for by Target and um, there's never a even logo heard of on everything. Yeah. And so we're like very logo free in here. We have no, this is the only advertising that you're going to see in this space is me talking about this space. Um, when you are here, you're just here to be here. Um, you're not going to see any advertising for anything ever. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's great for the kids to come here and experience like a kid wonderland that is not trying to sell them toys. And I don't want to be unappreciative of the Target Winter Wonderland or anything, but it's really different than the stuff we go to with the kids from school. Yeah, I've never even heard of that, but I mean, I, I can see them doing that. There's a lot of corporate events for children uh. and um, it's great because the kids can afford to do something, Yeah, but it's still kind of you know, always trying to sell you something. So we're not trying to sell you anything except the experience of being here and um, some new art and maybe music or puppets or something you never thought of, indescribable act that um, you can experience here. <laughs> um, it's not a live stream. It's a real life thing and it changes every time. So it's never the same twice. And you can only see it here. Cool. I think we'll 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 put a pin in it there, and we will again implore people to come, to come check it out and to come help. So, uh, thank you for hosting me here. This is a beautiful space. Um, it's a crazy time of year, and it's a crazy world right now. So, thank you for for giving me your time. Oh, thank you. It's a total pleasure to get to talk with you. Cheers. Hey everybody, that is a wrap on episode number 197 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I'm really fortunate that I get to do these in cool and unique spaces all around the world. And as I mentioned in this one, a space that you may not even know exists. If you're going down Melrose, it looks industrial. There's lots of really cool parts of Brooklyn that house uh, lofts, and event spaces and show spaces that you wouldn't know about because it's all this 
sort of like old factories and post-industrial stuff that have been converted into cool and new spaces. And that's exactly what this is. Actually, when I was walking down the block, <laughs> I had a little bit of trouble finding the actual entrance for it. And I was like, ah, where am I? Uh, but when you walk through the door, you're in this, this whole new world. The whole thing feels, I don't know, like I, I mentioned Jim Henson a couple of times. It does feel like that sort of mystical, magical type of a setup where it's, it's like down the rabbit hole or through the looking glass or stepping through a door from one world into another. And I think that makes this space really cool and special and important. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sari and I hope you check out the space when things calm down or if you're around next week for New Year's, check out that New Year's event. All right, everyone. Again, happy holidays. Thank you for listening. And as always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you soon.